Welcome to Rain's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for joining us. Every year, Rain publishes annual and quarterly geopolitical and threat forecasts. The 2022 second quarter includes the economic and geopolitical ricochet developments from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But there's plenty more to discuss. Here with details is Sam Lichtenstein, Rain's Director of Analysis. Welcome back, Sam. Hey, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. Before we dig into trends, can you tell me a little more about the forecasting process? Absolutely. So our annual process of forecasting really informs all of our quarterly updates, like the one we just put out for the second quarter. When we do our annual forecast, it really sets the tone for not only the issues that we're going to be looking really intensely at, but also the key calls we're going to be making. So, of course, in our quarterly forecast, we want to always go back and ground them in the annual forecast. What trends uh, are we still monitoring closely? What calls are we on point for? What calls might we need to adjust? And then perhaps most importantly, what are the issues that we may have missed or may have undervalued so far? So what we do is that starting a number of weeks before we put out each quarterly forecast, we as an analytic team will get together and each one of our analysts will offer up ideas from his or her perspective about different trends that uh, we need to refocus on, ones that we want to continue to home in on, um, and any adjustments to our overall calls that we're making. It's an incredibly collaborative process. Uh, It involves a lot of analytic uh, tradecraft in terms of how we challenge each other, push each other to think differently, uh, and really forces us to consider a whole variety of forces that can impact our forecast. So, Sam, obviously the conflict in Ukraine is driving a variety of global impacts. What are some of those knock-on implications? Of course, this is tragically the story that, of course, everybody is looking at. And unsurprisingly, there are a whole host of knock-on implications from the conflict in Ukraine. Now, of course, this is not to say nothing about the obvious idea of conflict escalation, not only within Ukraine, but of course, potentially involving other NATO member states, uh, particularly those along the border. That being said, looking just beyond the immediate battlefield, there are a whole host of security implications that we're looking at. Some of the most obvious uh, perhaps are involved cyber conflict. It's been quite notable that in the West, at least, we haven't seen the sort of major escalatory Russian cyber attacks that a lot of analysts feared would accompany the invasion of Ukraine. And so that's still something that we're closely monitoring, the risk for Russian retaliation, not only against Western governments, uh, but also private entities. And one of the particular trends that we're concerned about in the second quarter is that now that the most immediate uh, operations militarily on the ground seem to be stalemating uh, or in some cases changing and reversing in Ukraine's favor, um, the possibility that Russia may seek to leverage other capabilities like the cyber domain uh, is growing. And particularly as Western countries continue to implement just new sanctions basically every day against Russia, the retaliatory capability and desire of Russian state actors and non-state threat actors is only going to increase. So this is definitely a threat that we're going to be monitoring very closely in the second quarter. Another major knock-on implication that really has global ramifications is what we're seeing the Ukraine conflict do to the prices for things like energy, food, 
other major necessities for people across the globe. I mean, it's been widely reported about, for instance, uh, food price rises, energy price rises. And while all these things are certainly notable in the abstract, for average people uh, in many parts of the planet, this is truly life and death in terms of the prices they're paying for some of these goods and commodities. And so the more we see prices spike for everyday goods like food and fuel, the more you're going to see social unrest in a variety of countries. And of course, in certain hotspots where there are already triggers for violence, uh, be they already economic pressures, already a lot of anti-government sentiment, etc., the idea of even just a small increase in some of these prices could really stoke a lot of societal discord, bring people into the streets, uh, and in particularly combustible places like, say, parts of the Middle East or North Africa, parts of Sub-Saharan Africa or South Asia, just on their own, some of these price increases uh, could honestly see a huge amount of political pressure that could honestly involve uh, the replacement of some governments uh, legally and otherwise. And so that's a major trend that we're going to be closely monitoring as well in the second quarter. Sam, aside from Ukraine-related implications, what are some of the other security trends you are forecasting in the second quarter? So, of course, we're looking, as we always do, Emily, globally. Uh, but I'll, I'll mention a few things that we're looking at in particular. One is what we see coming out of Afghanistan. Um, the f typical fighting season in that country is reemerging now as the spring takes hold, better weather conditions, etc. And that's typically when we see a real uptick um, in the Taliban's fighting previously uh, against the U.S.-led coalition. Now, interestingly, though, of course, the Taliban is in power. And so what we're looking at is not so much the Taliban as a threat, but instead what we see from various insurgent groups that are against the Taliban and also critically what we see from ISIS Khorasan province, that's the group's Afghanistan-based entity that is really led uh, before the winter season that really makes it harder to conduct attacks, really led a, a string of attacks against Taliban other members of society, like religious minorities. Um, and so what we're trying to see now is, is there another major uptick in ISKP activity that would signal a resurgence of the group? Or do we see the Taliban more able to effectively clamp down and prevent another resurgence of attacks? This not only has major implications for Afghanistan, but also a lot of knock-on regional effects. Um, just in the past few weeks, we've seen a number of ISIS-linked attacks in Pakistan. Um, so the potential that Islamic State could be expanding its operations there uh, and then perhaps even beyond is also right now something that really has our minds focused um, and could obviously have a huge number of implications for stability in South Asia if that form of extremism were to grow there. Another thing that I mentioned that we're looking at, Emily, and this is, again, one of those really interesting connections with Ukraine, but in a really secondary way, uh, is some of the stability in states in sub-Saharan Africa uh, that have recently seen coups or, or other political instability. I'm thinking of places like Burkina Faso, Mali, um, and other states like that. Now, what's notable here is that on their own, these were already very fragile environments uh, that have seen a huge amount of political instability that's already allowed both ISIS and Al-Qaeda-linked groups to expand, not only within those countries, but crucially to conduct cross-border attacks into others. But what's really notable here is that 
as Russia needs to reprioritize its military uh, commitments towards Ukraine and towards defense of the Russian homeland, we've already seen Russia start to pull a number of its mercenaries out of other countries or military personnel out of other countries. And for a number of African states that are highly reliant on either those Russian military personnel directly or the more at arm's length but still really important Russian military contractors from groups like Wagner Group, the potential that some of these could be recalled to Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, or or other areas uh, where Russia feels like it needs to shore up its military capability could really leave a void in some of these sub-Saharan African states that have been relying on Russians for some of their security. And the one in particular I'd mention is Mali. Now, this is a country that has not only been beset by political instability, uh, but also where we've seen the French, uh, who had previously been leading their own European-based military mission there to try to clamp down on insurgency, the French only a few weeks ago announced that they would be removing a large part of their force structure and moving it uh, to Niger instead. And so what you see in Mali now is the potential for there not only to be a void being left by the French, but now also potentially by the Russians that have uh, really stepped in. And as both of these states presumably move a lot of their military forces out of the country, the possibility for insurgents to press their case in advance uh, is certainly going to grow. Sam Lichtenstein is Rain's Director of Analysis. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Emily. Rain's second quarter forecast is available at Rain Worldview, which offers objective geopolitical analysis and intelligence covering the global landscape. You can subscribe today at Stratfor.com. Right now, there is a crazy low subscription price. Go to Stratfor.com for details. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Thank you.